A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gutterblog. Good morning. Good morning to you. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was lovely, thanks. I went to Crystal Palace. It was quite a spectacular day, you know, they've got, before the game, not only have they got cheerleaders, but they've got an actual eagle, which impressed me. An actual eagle? Yeah, because yeah. Because they are the eagles of, yeah. They are the eagles, yeah. I mean, it's probably, probably cruel, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, but there was something quite, you know spectacular about it a guy walking around with this eagle on his arm it's not really their natural environment it has to be said no i don't think it just is one that was living there by coincidence and it happened to land on his arm i think it had been brought there for that purpose yeah um probably like an off an emirates flight or something i don't know well they're more falcons as we know well exactly the distinction is important but uh yeah lovely to uh Lovely to see one beautiful bird. Yeah, and I mean, so yeah, three points as well. Three very mentioning. nice points. Very nice. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, if more football clubs were were quite literal about their their mascots? Like, if you went to Wolves and there was an actual wolf, that'd exactly. be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing some some lions at Millwall either. They could do. They could do some damage. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Who else would we have? Uh, Black cats. At Sunderland? Black cats would be good. I mean, uh, you, you know where some... I wouldn't want to go? Where? Barnet. Oh, no. There's fucking bees everywhere. Imagine, Imagine just sort of getting ready for the match. You've had a couple of beers and they go, and here's the mascot, a hive of bees. And, the, you know, the, they take the hive and the bees go mental because they're like, come on, we're trying to make honey here and you're making us play football. This is, what about... we're angry. What about our own mascot? Gunnosaurus? Yeah. What if what if he came to life in a, you know in the new Jurassic Park film? Spoiler alert: They breed a kind of super dinosaur, according to the trailer, that goes mental and kills everyone. When will Perhaps. they ever learn? I know, 
I know. But How many that... times can you fill an island with dinosaurs without going, perhaps this is not a good idea? Well, at least four, because this is the fourth film, so I don't know. Maybe it'll be fifth time lucky. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Imagine a Gunnosaurus sort of stalking the corridors of the Emirates. That'd be fun. Just leave it in the, the away dressing room. Yeah. Velociraptor, he could, you know, do exactly. his business. Yeah. Anyway. Little diversion there. Absolutely. But three points, as you say. Very, very welcome indeed. And, you know, I thought, despite the fact that we never really got on top of the game or controlled the game, I I wasn't really feeling terribly nervous until such time as they scored. And then it was like, oh, my God. And I was. it was interesting because I knew you were there and... It was towards the end of the game, and I was watching on a stream, and I was doing the live blog on a stream, and they scored, and I had my Twitter, like, uh, minimized, so I couldn't see Twitter at all, mm. uh, because I, I, you know, I didn't want to be ahead of the game, as it were, mm. Um so they scored, and I was like, shit, uh, I might just take a quick look here at Twitter and, and see if full-time will happen a little bit quicker for me than having to watch those last few minutes of the game. And I uh, opened up my Twitter, and the first thing I see is a tweet from you going, Palace hit the post. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. It Before was, it happened. Oh. It was scary stuff. And that chance to hit the post, I mean, that... That really could have gone anywhere. Hit the inside of the post and bounced back into Ospina's arms. I mean, mm. we got a bit lucky there. But, um, yeah, I, I think the thing is, I mean, they scored so late that you sort of assumed, oh, well, they've got a consolation, but it's effectively game over. But we conspired to give them another chance in that last 30 seconds or so. That's a little bit worrying. You know, I mean, we, we had the kickoff mm. and we could have sort of kept the ball perhaps for 30 seconds or 60 seconds, maybe, maybe. But, you know, the fact that we didn't just take them out on halfway or something, yeah, I don't know, I mean, maybe a yeah. bit shell-shocked. We, we made a change, didn't we? We brought Gabriel on, went to three centre-backs. And, but looking, and, and conceded a goal and almost yeah. another. I mean, looking at, looking at it from above, when he came on, there was a lot of sort of looking around at each other and pointing and trying to work out who was where. I'm not sure how helpful a change that was, actually. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, do you think that perhaps you can overload in terms of defenders uh, to the point where it becomes a distraction where people don't quite know where it is they're supposed to be playing or what they're supposed to be doing or or who is supposed to be doing what possibly i mean if you look at the center backs we had out there are any of them accustomed to playing in in a three not really and and also the other thing of course is that it gives you one man less in midfield which effectively invites more pressure you know you've yeah. got less chance holding on to the ball yourself so uh, yeah, maybe that actually hurt us more than you might imagine. But it was very nerve-wracking finale. And to be fair to Palace, they played really well. Had they scored the first goal earlier, you know, 20 minutes earlier, yeah, I, I don't doubt they would have got something out of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we, we managed them reasonably well in terms of how we defended. I don't think there were that many chances. I think there was one header from Gale and there was a free a kick. free kick, yeah. Whew, the free kick. I had that, like... Oh, moment with the free yeah. kick. Yeah, yeah. Just as as it went past the wall, and I was looking for I was going, oh, no. And then it just kept going, thankfully. But it wasn't far wide. No. Um, it's, it's an interesting way to look at the game in the sense that that's, they did to us kind of what Tottenham did to us, in, in that they pressed us very high and they worked us very hard. They didn't give the centre-halves any time on the ball whatsoever. 
and we found it a bit difficult to to control the game in any meaningful way. I think there was a point late in the in the first half where we moved the ball around very well. It was a lovely move. I think Welbeck was involved, and it was maybe twenty or thirty seconds of of good possession. Um, but it stood out because that was that was rare in the game. Mm. Should we be worried about? The in, not necessarily the inability, but that teams will look at this now as a way of playing against us, particularly when we go away from home. I think we probably should. Uh, I mean, how, how we get around it is something we talked about after the Spurs game is is difficult. I mean, I just think it's very hard to cope with that kind of high-intensity style. Mikel Arteta is a player who I think would help someone who provides a bit more continuity you know see it, our our passing numbers weren't what they normally are at Crystal Palace I think mm. you know Santi Cazorla was down in the 70s which for him is is very very low I think Palace they, they perform really well you're certainly right it, was, it wasn't miles different to what Spurs did and what Dortmund did what Liverpool did um yeah I don't know hopefully no one cottons on maybe we shouldn't be talking about it maybe not I mean their chances of other managers listening to this podcast is quite slim. Yeah. Um, but even so, let's just keep it on the on the down low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Okay, well, let's look at the, the goals that we scored. Um, some suggestion that there was a touch of good fortune about both of them, but, you know. <sighs> Very marginal. I mean, I mean, I thought, I think the first one is a penalty. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I can see that sort of the initial contact is... It starts outside the box, but for me, the, the part that constitutes the great the, the foul effectively is inside the box. Yeah, um, and the second one, I think Danny Welbeck's head may be offside. I think it was his hair. It was yeah. all that was offside. Was, <laughs> to be fair, yeah, it's a risk he runs. Um, so maybe we got a little bit lucky there, but I mean, it's so marginal. I think complaining about that is. Mm. A little bit churlish, really. Mm. And they were... Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, he was involved in both goals and I think he gave a pretty effective demonstration of of what he brings to the side. It's um, a second away game where Theo Walcott has been left on the bench for Danny Welbeck. I mean, I think that's the choice. It's Walcott or Welbeck. Um, And the manager obviously thinks that away from home in particular, Welbeck offers the team a little bit more in terms of his in terms of his overall play, if he doesn't necessarily have the same end product statistics as Walcott, I think what he brings to the team is really quite interesting and quite effective. And, and uh, you know, it was it's difficult sometimes when you judge a player, you look at how many goals he scored or how many assists he's had, but it doesn't always give you the context of, of a guy's performance. And I thought he was really important. No, I agree with you. I think he does offer an enormous amount to the team, but also in terms of end product, you know, he wasn't credited with an assist at Spurs, but he effectively created that goal with that run down the right. Uh, similarly, you know, he, he won the penalty and had the shot from which Giroud scored the rebound at Palace. So, I think he is he is making a contribution in the final third, even if it's not the obvious one of scoring as many goals as we might like. And I think that Arsen. Arsene does prefer him as a, a team player at the moment, especially especially away from home. But I think he'll play at home in the Champions League as well. I think he'll play against Monaco on Wednesday night. Do you think he'll come in for Welbeck? Oh, sorry, no. I think Welbeck will play. Oh, right. Okay. Rather than Walcott. Yeah, I do, yeah. Hmm. Do you think Walcott will play? Yeah. 
Well, we shall see. We will. Do you think, so do you think it's a home and away thing? Do you think Walcott will play at Emirates and then in Monaco we might see Welbeck again? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll, he'll look at the game against Monaco as one in which we need to score goals. He'll probably choose Walcott because we're at home. There's a bit more assurance in being at home. Um, you know, the onus is on us to go out and attack and to make things happen. Um, and, and I think that's why he'll start Walcott. I think, you know, he'll he'll keep him in and out of the team. Same with Welbeck. Um, mm. So it's an interesting one. I mean, one of those players could start performing to a point where it's impossible for him to, to, to leave them out, you know? I mean, if Welbeck started scoring goals regularly then you would imagine that he's going to stay in the team. S- same as Walker. If he if he starts or continues to, to score goals, then he might give the manager something to think about. I just don't think he trusts Walcott's defensive game away from home. Um, and yeah. he, sa- he said before the game that it was going to be intense. I think he knew what we were going to get from Palace, the way they were going to approach the game, the way Pardew sets his teams out to, to play against us. Um, and I think uh, that Palace side is an awful lot more hard-working than any Newcastle side we ever faced um, when Pardew was in charge. Um, mm. And I think, obviously, the connection that he has to that club might be something to do with that. So I, I just don't think he, he would risk Walcott in, in that kind of a game. But at home, I think he'll give him the nod. We shall see. We shall see. I think that, yeah, I think he'll go well. But I think because... It's so important we don't... Con- I know we've got to score Wednesday night, but we've really got to not concede because they don't concede many goals at home. So mm. an away goal could be costly. But, you know, he's got that luxury of choice that we've talked about before. So, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see see what he does. Mm. Olivier Giroud, uh, eight goals in 11 games for him now. Mm. Um, I mean, I think like most of the Arsenal players, he struggled to, to, to do a lot in the game. Generally speaking, there were a number of times where he, he held the ball up really well took it in with the centre halves up his arse and then just played the ball out into touch a couple of times because he misjudged the movement of, of Ozil or, or whoever was outside him. But um, from a purely numbers point of view, from what he's giving the team uh, with goals, he's he's playing the best football of his Arsenal career. Well, I mean, as you say, his, his general game wasn't that great against Palace, but the numbers in terms of goals are really impressive. And I thought what was impressive as well was when that ball broke inside the penalty area, he's not someone you necessarily would imagine to be the quickest to get there first, but he's got that anticipation, that sense of where the ball might drop that made sure that he was the guy on the spot to put it away. And, yeah, he's he's playing with confidence at the moment. I thought his hold-up play in the build-up to that goal was very good. He brought down the goal kick, played a little one-two with Ozil to start the move, and he's, you know, Johnny on the spot to tuck it away. I think he's... um, you know, I said last week, I think he's been a little bit underrated, I think, by people, the wider game. And, yeah, I maintain that, really. I think he's... I saw your blog this morning, you said he's not quite world-class, and I agree with you, uh, but I think he's better than most, you know, and I think he's a very good Arsenal striker, nonetheless. 50 goals now in around 100 games, pretty much a one-in-two ratio. It's very decent. mm Hmm, I like him, I have to say. You know, he does frustrate from time to time, but for the most part, you, what you get from him is good, honest effort, scores some really good goals, and I think he's improved season after season. Yeah, that's the thing as well. I think he's better now than he was 
you know, 12, 18 months ago. Mm. And I think he's benefited from... Well, I think he's benefited, to be honest, from a little bit of time on the sidelines. I think he looks a little bit fresher. And I think he's benefited from competition and players around him. So I think the Giroud, you know, last season, I probably complained about him quite a lot. But I think circumstances have changed and he's responded really, really well. Mm. I remember you sending me an email and you called him uh, terrible, terrible names. I'm sure, yeah. I don't doubt that. (laughs) And you drew a picture of him with stabby things in his legs. and Yeah, I won't won't go on. Well, there you go. Tell me this. Anything else um, stick out for you in in the game? I, I, I don't know if we can keep talking about it every week, but it seems to me that the goalkeeping situation mm. is still a point of discussion. Go on. Well, you know that last cross that came in and Ospina came? Yeah. And he missed it by a couple of inches. Wojciech Szczesny is about five inches taller than Ospina. Mm-hmm. Could have got that ball. Could have saved the the thing coming back off the post. In the end, it didn't. It didn't really matter. I, I just find Ospina a bit confusing overall because the there are moments where he he seems completely calm and assured. His handling is good. He's confident. There were a lot of crosses came in. He took a lot of crosses. But then there are moments where I'm not sure he knows precisely why he's doing something. Like, you know that one where he came out and ended up having to head the ball and then landed on his back and and got some treatment immediately afterwards? Yeah. You know, that doesn't fill me with a great deal of of confidence either. I just think this this is an ongoing issue. You know, that he hasn't been convincing enough to, to make anyone say, forget Chesney completely. No, no, not by any means. I mean, do you... I am inclined to agree. I share some of your concerns. I feel like... And this is sort of instinct, really. You know, I, I don't think anyone has seen enough of a spina to make a definitive judgment. But my instincts tell me that there might be a major rick somewhere around the corner. And uh, like that, we're kind of waiting for that to happen before mm. we, before we introduce Chesney once more, um, and I, I get the sense that it might not be too far away. But I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, Arsene Wenger seems very determined to persist with him. He hasn't got a reason, a, a clear reason, to take him out of the team. From what I hear, he's not he's not likely to go anywhere in a hurry. He's, you know, he's that number one spot is effectively his to lose and uh, it might take something quite dramatic for that to happen mm. I don't know it'll be interesting to see with the Champions League this week if he gets the nod there you know there have been examples of other clubs Real Madrid for example they had their Champions League goalkeeper separate to their La Liga goalkeeper they treated it like a cup competition Casillas played all the games last season Yeah, I don't know do you think there's any chance we'll see Chesney on Wednesday? The only way I could see Chesney in goal on Wednesday is if Ospina's injured. I don't see that he's done, like you say, he hasn't done anything to lose the place. I just feel like he hasn't done anything to absolutely cement it either. You know, so I, since since Chesney's been dropped, we have conceded less goals and looked a little bit more defensively secure. But is that entirely down to a goalkeeper? Well, that's what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, is that coincidence? I mean, what's 
Well, you know, teams have runs of form in a season. Maybe it has something to do with Ospina. You know, you couldn't couldn't defend Chesney's performance against Southampton. It was terrible. Mm. It was really bad. But I think that was... um, that wasn't representative of Chesney throughout the season. It wasn't like he was doing that every week. And certainly the, the, the reason he got dropped was because he decided to have a crafty bifter in the showers. It wasn't, yeah, that- it wasn't really down to his form. The manager had to do something, you know, to, 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 uh, to discipline him. And, and that's given Ospina the chance. So, I, you know, I think you can look at it and say... Um, Maybe Ospina's had an impact on that to a certain extent. But, you know, sometimes you, you play better. And we've had a settled back four for the most part. We've had relatively um, undifficult opposition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's played a part too. So, again, it's like trying to trying to pin some part of a team's performance on one individual. It's very, very difficult you know some players are obviously crucial some players have a big impact on on uh, how a team performs and how it plays and how it might uh, set up in a game but you know uh, you, you know you could take Messi out of Barcelona and you could see the huge impact that that would have on them but I'm not sure that taking Chesney or Ospina out of Arsenal has a huge um, weight on how we perform or the results that we have so I don't know no. I mean, uh, one of the most common criticisms of Chesney by his detractors is, well, he doesn't he doesn't win us points, you know, like De Gea does. He doesn't single-handedly win us points. But I don't think you could say that Spina is doing that either. Mm. You know, he's there. He's definitely there. But I'm not sure he's kind of single-handedly keeping teams at bay, you know. Mm. Um, it is a really interesting one. I mean, I know we do talk about it every week, and I have a feeling it will run and run. Uh, and it'll be, I think, interesting in the summer to see what Arsene Wenger does. I think a lot will depend, obviously, on what happens between now and May, but he might have a, a decision to make. Is mm. there a guy there who he feels is his number one, or does he have to go out and get someone superior? All right, well, we'll see. In the meantime, let's hope the competition keeps them both on their toes and mm-hmm. um, and we see the benefits of that. All right, what we're going to do is take a short break. We'll be back with your questions in part two right after this. Hello, welcome back to the Askcast Extra. We're going to take a look at some of your questions now sent to at Askblog and at Gunnerblog on Twitter. Thanks as ever for all of those. The first one is on a subject we had many, many questions on. This one is from Tim Stillman at Stillberto. And he says, Mourinho, clever mind games or cunt that has lost the plot? Both. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Because we know he's a cunt. I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily sure he's lost the plot. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that after Chelsea draw a game against opposition, they would be expected to win, that we see deflectionary tactics. And managers do that all the time. You know, when they when they have a result that doesn't go the way people expect, they try and take the focus off that. That's normal. No, no one's talking about the result anymore, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, this idea that there's some kind of conspiracy against Chelsea is absolute bollocks. It's a load of crackpot fucking tinfoil hat David Icke special bullshit. That's mm-hmm. exactly what that is. I think you have to take the media 
to a certain extent to task on this one as well for giving him a platform because he was on goals on Sunday, right? Um, going on about this, that, and the other, and referees and how this has gone against them and that has gone against them, and it's nonsense. And nobody will challenge him on these things, things that he says and declares as fact. Uh, it's, it's just rubbish. The other thing as well is that I don't think it's coincidence either that after the week that Chelsea have had, um, you know, given the behavior of some of their fans in Paris, and we've covered that and, you know, dealt with that for the most part, you know, that that's an absolute disaster for any organization from a PR or from a media or from a, you know, from any perspective, it, it reflected terribly on Chelsea. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, to, to an extent, they've, they've, they've done the right thing by coming out and condemning it, quite how they can get away with John Terry writing an article saying racism is bad in the program notes. Uh, the, you know, that just boggles my mind. But, you know, again, this nonsense that he goes on with deflects completely from that. So everyone's now talking about, is this a, a conspiracy against Chelsea? No, of course it's not. Was the tackle on Matic terrible? Yes, it was. But Chelsea and Mourinho uh, have been guilty of that in the past as well. You know, you only need to go back to that game at Stamford Bridge when Gary Cahill went way over the ball and caught Alexis's standing leg, and Mourinho didn't seem that bothered about that at the time. You know, the mm. the the, uh, the the complaints after the game were about Arsene Wenger's reaction to it and the fact that he pushed Mourinho instead of focusing on what was a truly terrible challenge. So, you know, I know these things happen in football, but I think what he's done is just, you know, it's classic media manipulation, and people have fallen for it. So he's a clever cunt, not necessarily lost the plot. I think he knows what he's doing. But if there is even a small part of him that believes that the, 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 the officials, the FA, the referees, the people who write about football, if he thinks those people are out to get him, he doesn't know what it's like to be out to be gotten if that makes any sense because uh, he gets a fucking he gets an easy ride of it for the most part so there that's my thoughts so but do you think it's clever like do you think it will work in as far as presumably he's gone on there thinking right if i kick up a fuss about this if i highlight all the decisions that have been made against us in a very public way the next time a 50 50 comes around it's going to go in our favour. Do you think there's any? Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's part of it. That yeah, transpire. Yeah, of course, of course. That's what that's what it's about. I mean, you remember the the game we played against Leicester um, a couple of weeks back, and the referee who I can't remember whoever the referee was, one of the terrible people who was given a whistle and uh, allowed to take charge of Premier League football. Um, he, he gave a couple of ridiculous penalties against Leicester. Um, Mm. against I think it was against Liverpool and they went bananas as you would and he gets another Leicester game and then proceeds to not give any contentious issues against Leicester you know I I don't think these referees are particularly strong of character you know a lot of them make wrong decisions all the time and if there's pressure on them they're thinking about that so yeah I mean it's, it's all part of of a bigger thing I think Roberto Martinez said that Chelsea players try to influence referees. Of course they do. All players do it. You know, sometimes it goes a bit too far, but all players try and do it in their own way, maybe not quite as overtly as, as uh, some of the Chelsea ones, but or the way that Mourinho operates. But, you know, it's, it's all part of the game, and he is as good as anybody at this kind of thing. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. This, uh, this uh, dealing with the media, you know, he makes it out like he's persecuted. When he gets away with so much stuff, it's just unbelievable. Nobody ever calls him on it. Yeah. Nobody. I mean, it, it, nobody. Also, what's interesting as well is that a lot of managers, top managers, would be above turning up on goals on Sunday to talk about it. You know, like Arsene Menger just wouldn't occur to him to, to go and sit with Chris Kamara and dissect the matter. Yeah, but he, sh- saying, he should, and rightly so, he shouldn't. Managers yeah. shouldn't be doing that, I don't think. Do you think there'll be consequences for him, like a, an FA charge or anything like that? Pfft, no. No. The problem is now that, you know, I was just thinking about that and I was like, if I'm the FA and I think, well, is he he bringing the game to disrepute by questioning referees in this way? Anything you fire at him, you're just fueling the fire of this imaginary conspiracy. There's the clever cunt, you see. Yeah. It's a, it's a really tricky one. I mean, as I was saying, yeah, a lot of people would be above it, just wouldn't even sort of indulge in the discourse on it. But he doesn't he i mean in, in a way he is des- he'll do whatever it takes to, yeah. to get the results he wants and if that means making himself look like a slightly paranoid hypocrite lad, hypocrite i don't think he gives a shit i think he's like well if it gets us the decision at the end of the day that wins the league i i couldn't care less um he is he is a cunt i don't think that's in dispute really uh, but i think in this instance he probably has been clever he, he looks horrendous but I'm not sure how much he'll care. No, he doesn't. That's the thing. He does not care. 
Yeah. He really doesn't. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problem isn't so much Mourinho not caring, because I think everybody knows that, you know, he'll do whatever it takes. He will behave in whatever way he feels necessary. He'll hide people in fucking laundry baskets or, or hide himself in a laundry. Was it him or one of his... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't as a, know as a washerwoman yeah, or something. Exactly, yeah. you know, so he, he'll do whatever it takes. The problem is a constant pandering to him and his antics in the media. That instead of people and um, uh, people in, in high-profile places saying, this is ridiculous, the way you're behaving is appalling, you're talking absolute shite, that, you know, he, he, they all want to be friends with him. Yeah. Rather than rather than be a little bit impartial at times and go, look, you can you can think Mourinho is a great character, and you know there's no doubt that he creates headlines and what have you. But the idea that you should be soft on him or that you won't write something that might upset him for fear of what that he might not be your friend, that he might not invite you to his fucking birthday party. What are you talking about? He doesn't give a shit about any of these journalists. They're just tools for his contitude, essentially. Well, I think that the journalists are probably caught between how their own feelings and also knowing that this is kind of box office. You know, whether we agree with that or not, there is a huge amount of interest in Mourinho and what he says and does, and he creates controversy, and that sells newspapers. So mm. that's that's the position they're in. They're like, well, I think, to be honest, I think it was very similar with Harry Redknapp. People always talked about what a great press Redknapp got from his mates in the media, but actually he wasn't that popular as an individual among all journalists. It was just a question of business. You know, he was good business. Mm. And, I, and I think it's much the same with Mourinho. I'm not sure everyone admires his personality particularly or thinks he's an, an ethical guy, but they know that that he'll, he'll make headlines, mm. and so they indulge him. Mm. Uh, that's just unfortunately the nature of the the press. But I think, yeah, it would be great to see someone come out and say and condemn this whole conspiracy thing rather than leading with it as a, a just a pure headline. I think people need to start saying that this is not appropriate because I think that, you know, you are effectively questioning uh, the ethics of the referees, and I think that's very dangerous territory to be in. Mm. You can but question the are shit. I mean, yeah, you can question you their the, competence. Did you see the Liverpool game yesterday? Um, bits of it, but well, I saw saw some of the, the the vines and the gifts. Yeah, the relevant gifts. Yeah, but like the, some of the decisions in that match were extraordinary. And I have to say, the decisions in the Chelsea Burnley match I thought were were pretty staggering. You know, I I don't subscribe to any kind of conspiracy, but I thought there were four or five decisions that happened to be very, very wrong. Mm. Uh, but the, the reason I sort of don't see it as a conspiracy is because I don't believe there's one against Southampton too. I just think there's a general standard of poor refereeing. Yeah, I was, I was watching some of the Tottenham game before I went out, um, and there was a moment, I think it was Mark Noble, who was on a yellow card. Oh, God, yeah. And he, he, he committed a foul that was a second yellow card, for sure. Like, yeah. it was a, should have been sent off. But... Um, Vertonghen came over and pushed him in the face. I know. And, you're, and the referee didn't do anything to either player. And you're looking at it going, well, look, either there's rules or there aren't. And there are things you can do or you can't. And what you can't do when you're on a yellow card or even when you're not on a yellow card is slide in and just uh, take a player out and not expect a yellow card. And how many times do we hear, well, he raised his hands. That kind mm. of, you know, it's just abysmal. 
So I don't, you know, the idea of a conspiracy is nonsense. The idea that the standard of refereeing is getting worse, I think that's self-evident. That's evident. We can see it in every game. You know, it's all right for us to complain as Arsenal fans about referees, you know, and people say, you know, if you lose a game and you complain about a referee, they'll say, oh, that's bull- stop complaining about the referee. It's all about how shit we were. Well, you can complain about referees when we win, and you can complain about referees in other games that you have no vested interest in, and you're looking at decisions being made, and they're in they're just indecipherable. How do you come to those conclusions based on what all of us uh, think we know about how the, the, the game should be refereed or the rules of the game? So... Yeah, it's a definite problem. And I think, you know, consistency, you mentioned that issue with the hands up is a, a real issue at, at the moment. You know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for all for all the problems, I don't think they are malicious. I just think they are incompetent. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's move on, shall we? I think if we could cleanse the palate somewhat, yeah. Yes. And this next question comes from Rodriguinho, who is at BK Gunner 43 Okay. And he wants to know if you have any concerns that Alexis hasn't scored since Ozil's return from injury, or is it just purely coincidental? Ah, I was going to ask you very much the same thing. Yeah, I think I think he's five games without a, a goal, Alexis. Um, I have to say, I don't think it's to do with Ozil's return. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we saw at Palace, they combined brilliantly for a a chance on the counter-attack. Oh, that was so good, though, wasn't it? I mean, the way that Ozil just sort of... I don't know how he did it exactly. First off, I don't know how he thought of it. You know, just kind of dinking the ball and then... Sort of knocked it over the guy's head, but with backspin on it, so it came back towards him. Yeah, and then the little touch just before, like he killed it and then played it into Alexis. Super. We we did something quite smart, which is that when we were defending, we actually left Ozil quite often is higher up the pitch than Giroud. Uh, and it enabled us, when we broke, it meant that we got the ball to him early and he's obviously got the ability to, to pick a pass from there. And, and, in that, and keep the ball. Exactly. And in that instance, it nearly worked. And also, he's not much of a defender, so you might as well <laughs> leave him up there. Although, there was a moment, wasn't there, where he had oh, tracked yeah, back yeah. and he, he used this newfound um, strength that he has, mm. these muscles... Hooked up, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they, they, he's got these muscles, and uh, you know, um, saw the ball out for for an Arsenal goal kick. That was very heartening. I did see that. Yeah, but but uh, yeah. So, anyways, Alexis should have scored. Didn't he missed by a couple of inches? I mean, there was nothing in it really. And I think you see there that these are players who do have an understanding. We saw that as well. I think was it in the FA Cup game with Middlesbrough? They combined really well a couple of times. So I don't think Urzel is the problem. Um, Nick Bell asked, "Is he playing? Is Alexis playing with less freedom?" I'm not sure that's the case either. I just think that he's just, you know, having a run of games without a goal. I don't think it's he had an injury, a couple of injuries around that time. You know, I think the Leicester game, he just wasn't fit. I, I don't think there's any real underlying cause for concern. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see him bounce back against Monaco this week. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think it's um I think it's just one of those things that having been the key player for so long this season that maybe there isn't the same responsibility driving him to I mean, It's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, look, he's not going to score in every single game. The problem we had earlier in the season was that if he didn't score, then we didn't look like anybody else could. And now we've got 
Giroud scoring, Walcott is scoring, Ozil is scoring, Cazorla is scoring. You know, we've got these options um, to, to, to get us a goal. So if when we've got players taking more responsibility or more players taking more responsibility, Alexis kind of drops off a little bit, I think that's probably natural. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I would back him for a goal against Monaco on, on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I think I think he's. Look, I, I don't think he's playing particularly poorly. I just think that he just hasn't had as quite as many chances as he did, mm. and I, I don't think it's uh, any cause for real concern. I agree. All right, shall we have another question? Yes, please. Okay, cool. This one comes from Alan Wayne, nineteen seventy-five. I knew his dad. Uh, yeah, Bruce. Sure. <laughs> hey, uh, and he says, "Why do you think?" The British core, in inverted commas, seem to be slipping behind in terms of the first team. If indeed you think they are. Okay, so British core, we're talking Wilshire. Well, yeah, who are the five? The five who did the five or six who signed the deals, I guess, were Wilshire, Ramsey, uh, Gibbs, Oxlade Jen- Chamberlain, Oxlade Chamberlain, Jenkinson, Walcott were were the sort of you know. Contingent, weren't they? Back Walker. In the day? I feel like we're missing one. Wilshire, Gibbs, Oxley, Chairman, okay, Ramsey as well. Um, I don't think that they're necessarily slipping behind. I mean, obviously, there are issues with injuries when it comes to Wilshire and Ramsey. They've had their yeah. injuries. Gibbs, he's being kept out of the team because Monreal was playing better than he was. Simple mm-hmm. as that. I don't think it's any real reflection on Gibbs. But just when a player comes in and takes his chance, he deserves to keep his place. Walcott, we've been down the road of of CO a number of times. Mm-hmm. Oxley Chamberlain, I thought was one of the in the in the early part of the season, which wasn't as much fun as it should have been. I thought he was one of the bright spots. In that he looked like a player who was making genuine progress. Um, you, you know, needs to add a bit more end product to his game. Because he can hit a ball, he can finish. He needs to start scoring more goals. But I thought he was uh, he was a positive. But obviously, he's had a bit of a, a bit of an injury. Um, Jenkinson is away at West Ham, and I think we've discussed it before. I would be surprised if he came back. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing to bear in mind is that when you look for a better quality squad with more depth. There is going to be more rotation, and the, the the players who are playing best will play more often. And if those English guys, if that British core can react and react positively to the competition that they've got at the moment, you know, they're competing with much better players than they were two years ago or three years ago. That's also, a difference. Yeah, that is a difference. But also they're competing in the majority of cases with older players. You know, although they're not kids anymore, those guys, Monreal is a, a more experienced player than than Gibbs. You know, equally, mm. uh, Oxlade Chamberlain and Welbeck, you know, are, can't match Alexis Sanchez in terms of experience. So I think that there's still time for them to develop, push on. You know, Jack Wilshire can't match Santi Cazorla's experience. You know, he's got a good few years on him. So mm. I think there's, there's time for them to come good. Uh, and if you look at, Manchester United, you know, they always had this much vaunted British core, but they weren't all playing every week. I think the benefits of having that kind of homegrown group in the squad extend beyond 
all being on the pitch in the starting eleven every week. I think what they do for the spirit and the connection with the club and things like that is is broader than that. Mm. Uh, so I still think it's a very positive thing. And and I yeah, I mean, someone pointed it out to me a couple of weeks ago. Oh, we were all talking about the British core, but who would actually start now? And it's not as many as you necessarily imagine at the beginning of the season. But uh, I think that's, as you say, the nature of competition. And I think one bright spot is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. You mentioned him there, but I think when he comes back to fitness, you know, we talk about Walcott versus Welbeck. I think he's got every chance of getting starts ahead of both those players, to be honest, Mm. based on the way he played in the first half of the campaign. So I I don't think it's... um, I'm not sure there's a massive correlation between their Britishness and the fact that they're at present... A, you know, a little bit behind in the pecking order. Yeah. those guys. All right, another uh, a Britisher is uh, is Callum Chambers. Ah, so he is. And um, Robert California at Robbie Buddy asks, uh, "Do you think that Chambers is destined to play more centrally? He seems too big and too slow against wingers with good pace uh, right back." I mean, I get, I have to say, I get the feeling that you know the way Arsene Wenger has at times played a a midfielder on the right-hand side of midfielder as a right winger mm-hmm. in order for them to develop their game a bit. Yeah, Fabregas did it. Fabregas that, did it. Um, he's played Wilshire there. He's played Ramsey there. Mm-hmm. I get the sense that Chambers at right back, even though that's kind of where he played for, for Southampton, I think this is part of his development into a more central player. That's that's my thinking. And what do you reckon? I think it's possible. I think when you look at him, just sort of physiologically almost, he looks more like a centre half uh, or a central midfielder. Um, you don't get many fullbacks anymore with that kind of size. I mean, the exception is Branislav Ivanovic, who obviously is a, an absolute beast at right back. Yeah. Um, but I think he's the exception rather than the rule. And I think that. He's quicker than Chambers. And, I, I, you know, going into the Palace game, I did worry about Chambers because if Palace have anything, it's pace on the flanks. They've got Zaha, and I'm so grateful that Yannick Balassi didn't start. I'm not sure if there was a reason for that, if he's carrying an injury, because as soon as he came on, he was a nightmare to deal with. Um, I think Chambers will end up as a central player. I think that he's got the... I think he can pass well enough to play in the middle. I think that he will read the game better there. I, I just think that he's probably not quite agile enough to be a fullback. Mm. In terms of him playing there at the moment, I don't think he's a liability, but I don't think he looks as comfortable as, say, a Bellerin, who's a more natural fullback. Yeah. Do, uh, do, do you see his long-term as a central defender or a central midfielder? I I still think central defender, if I'm honest. Um, he just seems to me like a guy who's better with the game in front of him. You know, as a central midfielder, so much of so much of it is about being able to take the ball off the defenders with your back to goal and being able to turn away in those short little spaces. I'm not convinced necessarily that that's his game. I, th- I think he'll be a centre-half. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I think centre-half probably. I know Arsene Wenger has spoken about him before uh, and said that uh, he's likely to be a, a, uh, a central midfield player, but... You know, maybe he'd be that kind of a versatile guy who could who could do that job. But I think probably he's going to be he's going to be a centre half. But I've said before, and I, I don't think we'll necessarily know for 
I mean, Chambers is, what, 19? I'm not sure we'll know until he's kind of 22, 21, 22. Yeah. I think it'll take a long time for him to settle somewhere. And and, and also, as I said before, I don't think that's a huge problem. He's a very versatile player. And he'll benefit, he'll gain experience from playing all these different roles. You know, it's something Arsene Wenger's historically done, as you say, put people in different positions. It's that classic Ajax Academy thing, you know, get someone to play every position on the field, they learn. Yeah. And uh, I think he will settle somewhere eventually. My bet would be centre-half. But, uh, you know, he's the fourth-choice centre-half in the pecking order at the present. I think that's probably about right. Yeah. But look, you know, we've got two centre-halves... 30 there or thereabouts who aren't going to go on forever so you know you're looking at succession planning and if over the next couple of seasons he can deputise for those guys you know learn from Koscielny learn from Mertesacker perhaps then develop a partnership with, with Gabriel maybe that's maybe that's the the, the long term you know mm. um, these things um, that's the way it goes kind of a cyclical thing so, the circle of life the circle of life indeed alright have you got one more? yeah probably Oh, okay. This could be quite fun. Well, it might just be a list, but okay. Jimmy Land Rover. I don't know if that's his real name. His family maybe started the the Land Rover brand. He says, if you had to put money on it, in what order would your prediction for the top six be come the end of the season? Do you want to have a crack at it? If I had to put money on it, um, Man City champions. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm just hoping that Chelsea implode. Chelsea second. Um, It's a really difficult one uh, for the top four, isn't it? Because you've got four teams for two places. I suspect, I think it'll be Liverpool and Arsenal. I don't know in which um, order. Maybe I'll go Arsenal third. Liverpool fourth, Tottenham fifth, and Man United sixth. No, actually, Man United fifth, Tottenham sixth. I was going to say, wow, Man United sixth. That'd be that'd be great. I mean, to be fair, Tottenham and Manchester United. It's sort of, you know, which is the lesser of two evils, really, isn't it? It's mm. a difficult one. Um, all right, I'll have a go. I think Chelsea will win. I don't think the conspiracy will. <laughs> will see them off. <laughs> sadly, um, I think they'll take the Premier League. I think obviously City will be second. I think we'll be third, actually. Um, let's have a bit of optimism. I, I feel after this weekend, it was a good weekend for us, wasn't it, results wise? Yep. Yep. As painful as it was seeing Harry Kane score that last minute equaliser, mm. um, it's still good they dropped points. So I think we'll be third. And then uh, I think United will do it, actually. Yeah, at the expense yeah. of Liverpool? Yeah, I think it'd be United, then Liverpool. All right. Um, and then... And then, who is it, Southampton or Spurs? No, I don't see Southampton staying the course. I think they'll fade away. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a shame. I'd love... I'm going to say they'll finish above Spurs, just on a, on a whim. Okay, I, I, you know, I, I'd be into that. Yeah, why not? Let's see if we that. can make it happen. Mm. But yeah, Arsenal third. It'd be nice to not have the qualifier... You know, I always hate those those Champions League qualifiers, and I always mm. there's always that they always sort of loom over the summer, don't they? It's like, well, we won't buy until, and it's that that classic thing. Yeah. So um, yeah, a third would be lovely. All right. Um, Any just, more? No. Well, no, I don't. But I was going to ask you. Um, Go on. 
if you caught the Oscars. <laughs> I didn't. Who was throwing them? I don't know. No, I didn't. I haven't seen them yet. You haven't seen. You do, do you know who won? I know who won. Yeah. All right. No, no. It's just. I was just curious. I mean, I've never really forgiven the Oscars for for uh, for not giving Best Picture to Romancing the Stone back in the eighties. That is a hell of a film. It's a great film. You know, and, and it's the whole thing has just been a sham ever since. Yeah, well, see the lack of the lack of gongs for the Leg- Lego Movie this year. Well, I mean, that's an absolute disgrace. Yeah, that I'm really is. Yeah. That's such a good film. I know. But I was thinking, you know, maybe you could um, improve some of the films. Go on. In a way, like American Sniper, I turned it off after twenty minutes because it was boring, like really right. boring. Okay. But then I thought maybe if you called it American Piper. And Bradley Cooper went to Iraq and played bagpipes constantly until they got round a table and discussed things like people and said, look, we're not so different. Let's let's chill out here and play hacky sack and drink beer in a hammock together and let's not kill each other. That would be a much better film. It would. It'd be, I could get on board with that. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the, the sort of... The, the, the propaganda subtext of American Sniper would be lost somewhat in your version. It would, yes, but it would be a much it would be a much more human film. Yeah, it feels like it might not win an Oscar, but it might win a, a Nobel Peace Prize. Would certainly get best soundtrack <laughs> for all that bagpipe goodness. That's true. What about? I mean, is there such a thing as bagpipe goodness? I've never encountered it. If there is, well, look, you know, maybe your exposure to bagpipes has been quite limited. You know, there's a whole bagpipe world out there for you to to explore in your own good time. Of course, I'm not putting any any pressure on you. Um, I, I was surprised that uh, that Selma didn't win. You know, because mm. the uh, the tragic tale of of Selma after her twin sister Patty died, <laughs> her descent into I have heard hard drugs. Moving. Yeah, that was yeah. that was difficult. <laughs> and I, I, I would also like. Um, Instead of boyhood, you could have you could call it boy hoof, and over a period of twelve years, this boy's feet turn into hooves, and we discover that he is the son of Mister Tumnus. Ah, now that's a fucking film I could watch. That's a great twist as well. Yeah, nobody would be expecting that. It annoys me as well that Boyhood got all this recognition, but the film it's based on, Boys in the Hood passed you know almost without comment in 1991 yeah i mean that was that was that was an absolute classic come on ice cube cuba gooding jr where were the oscars then i don't know i don't know they were waiting for the guy with hooves that's it that was it all right well um i don't have anything else to to add to the academy awards podcast of the year of the podcast yeah yeah (laughs) certainly this is that this is just designed to get us some ratings when we put in you know the oscars oh okay it's all for the hits hashtag hashtag boy hoof that's very nice that'll be trendy yeah all right um oh monaco on wednesday we haven't talked about it really i think we'll win we win in the champions league or what's going on yeah why not you think we'll win, dude? Do you think we'll win comfortably? I don't know about comfortably, but I think we'll win on Wednesday. Um, and I think it'll be important to win on Wednesday because uh, they're they're quite good at home. Yeah, they don't concede many goals in the Champions League. They're selfish bastards. I know. I, know. I think we'll win as well. I yeah. think we're on a good run. 
It's weird, isn't it? I mean, the first half of the season was so shit. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, things are looking up. Yeah. It's, it's all going reasonably well. Who would ever have thought? I know. Uh, we've got Everton on Sunday, so we'll look ahead to that on the Arscast on Friday, and we'll discuss that on the Arscast Extra next Monday. So until then, have an Oscar-winning week. Hmm. I will, and, and all you at home do too. I don't know if that was aimed at me or the listener. It, well, it was aimed at all of you. Thank you very much. But you We, and, all, we all accept. All right. Uh, until the next one, take it easy. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.